Thank you. Well, good evening. Uh, I want you guys to turn to Jeremiah. We're going to be continuing on there, obviously, tonight. We'll be in chapter 19. While you're turning there, i got two things real quick. On Sunday morning, someone dropped this on the floor in my office. It's a uh, Bible timeline. Not sure whose it is, so if it's yours, you can claim it afterwards. Um, but anyway, that's there. It's got some really good information in there. Um, if you guys ever want little handy things to keep in your Bible, that company, Rose Publishing, they make a lot of neat charts and stuff like that. Um, different little handbooks and inserts that you can have in your Bible. So um, I haven't had that one before, but I have had a couple other ones personally. But anyway, that's somebody. So, um, And then uh, uh, we were asked to pray for John Thorson. Um, he's uh, Elisa Scheffner's father. Um, he's been uh, in the hospital, um, had some bacteria that they found in his bloodstream and obviously making him very sick. Um, and so, uh, we were asked that we would, we could pray for him. He had an echocardiogram, turns out it looked good. Um, but he has, sounds like some sort of wound or something going on on his arm, uh, which is where they think the bacteria has entered his body. Um, he's at Skagit Regional right now, but he might be able to come home on Friday. Um, however, it looks like there's going to be a kind of a lengthy rehab for him. So, um, we'll just uh, lift him up to, in prayer tonight, and we'll pray for our study. So, Heavenly Father, Lord, we do lift up John to you. Thank you, Lord, that um, the doctors were able to kind of figure out what's going on with his body. We do pray um, that you would drive out this infection in his bloodstream, Lord, um, that there wouldn't be any more uh, damage done to his body because of this, Lord, but that you would just heal him. We pray that you would give him peace as he's there alone in the hospital. We pray that you would um, divinely appoint believers to be there with him, maybe those who he doesn't even know who can pray for him and minister to him while he's there, Lord. But we do pray he's able to go home soon, and we pray that he would have a speedy recovery, Lord. But be with him, be with uh, his family that's concerned for him, Lord, and we lift him up to you tonight, Lord. Lord, as we uh, begin to look at your word tonight, we do pray that you would speak to us, Lord. Uh, as we sang in the worship song, Lord, you are good. And, and you are good because of your character. It's who you are, Lord. It's uh, uh, every aspect of who you are is good in your judgments, in, in the things that are heavy and difficult for us to understand, the circumstances that we're in in life, Lord, and in the good times, you are always good because that's your character. And I pray as we look at these things here tonight, the heavy things going on or that would be going on with uh, Judah and Jerusalem here in Jeremiah's time, Lord, that we would understand that all of these things flow from your goodness, Lord, and your righteousness. And we just do just pray that you continue to speak to us in your name. Amen. It's Jeremiah chapter 19. Um, so we'll dive right in. Verse 1, it says, Thus says the Lord, and this is speaking to Jeremiah, Go and get a potter's earthen flask or a bottle. In the Hebrew, that actually is bakbuk, is the word. Um, and it's a, see if I can say this right, an onomatopoeia which is one of those words that makes the sound for what it's supposed to be describing. It's the sound of water pouring out of a bottle. And so that's what this is. It's an it's a earthen flask, round bottom with a thin top and a handle on it. So, but he's told to go get this earthen flask and take some of the elders of the people and some of the elders of the priests and go out to the valley of the son of Hinnom, which is by the entry of the potsherd gate. Now, we don't know for certain, um, but uh, in the Targum, which is a paraphrase of the, of the Old Testament, um, they relate the potsherd gate with the dung gate in Jerusalem, which is where refuse, um, garbage was taken out and dumped. 
And we know from our studies earlier and kind of what we're looking at, the valley of the son of Hinnom is where Topheth was, or Tophet. Um, and that's where uh, the Hebrews were sacrificing their children. They had altars there. We'll read about it here in this chapter. Um, but really, it's kind of a, a, a very uh, depressing place. You know, it's the garbage of the city is tossed out the gate there. Across the valley are these altars to false gods. And you have the burning of the, um, really, these altars where children are sacrificed at. Um, and, and just a, a trash heap. There's, there's no reason uh, then for us to question why the Lord in the New Testament uses this whole valley and this whole scene here as a picture of hell. It, this, is, this is what would become known as Gehenna later on um, in that valley. Uh, and this is the whole scene there. But there also at this gate um, is, or near this where the potter's house is, is where Jeremiah is supposed to go. He's to, to buy this and go out to this place. And, and there it says, and proclaim the words that I will tell you and say, hear the word of the Lord, O kings of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I will bring such a catastrophe on this place that whoever hears of it, his ears will tingle. So the Lord's not kind of pulling anything, any punches. Now he's telling the leaders, the elders of the people, so sort of the political leaders, the social leaders, as well as the elders of the priests, so the religious leaders as well, these people who God had appointed and raised up in their various positions to be responsible, and in one sense, one sense shepherd the people of Jerusalem and the people of Judah. And he's going to take them out and, and basically prophesy over them and give them a picture. Um, but what he says is that, this catastrophe is coming. He says, I will, there's a promise. I will bring such a catastrophe on this place that whoever hears of it, his ears will tingle. And this is actually speaking of like ringing ears from a loud noise or buzzing, almost like tinnitus, something that just, it resounds with you and stays with you. I don't know, when I was younger, I mean, I guess some of our concerts have been that loud, but when I was younger, I went to a lot of pretty loud concerts. And I remember you know, that feeling after you're in a concert for two, three hours with bands and you're right by the speakers and you leave that concert and everything's muffled and muted, your ears are ringing, you almost can still feel everything going on. And that's the picture that he's saying, what's going to happen here is going to be that have this lasting effect on you where you're going to sense it, you're going to feel it, you're going to know it. Now, this wasn't the first time that the Lord said that disaster was going to come and, and would have this sort of effect. Um, in fact, the people, if they had known their history and even just known the word of the Lord, they would have looked back and, and recognized this sort of type of judgment and reaction to it from Eli. If you guys remember Eli, he was a, the priest um, in Shiloh in the tabernacle uh, when Samuel was a young boy. And this priest, uh, Eli, he had two very wicked sons, Hophni and Phinehas. They were also supposed to be priests in the house of the Lord. Um, but rather than following all the, the statutes of the Lord and being the Lord's really representatives to the people, they abused their positions um, and, and they were having sex with women that would come there uh, to bring offerings. They were using their own forks to pull meat out of the pot of people that would bring offerings to sacrifice to the Lord. Um, they would keep all the best things for themselves, completely just abusing the people there to where the people in Israel at the time said, we don't even want to go to the house of the Lord to sacrifice because of these two priests who were supposed to facilitate the people coming to worship. And they were driving them away because of who they were. Now, the Lord prophesied judgment against Eli, their father, because really he was kind of like the high priest at the time. And not only that, he was their father and knew of all the things going on there. And the Lord had warned him that they were abusing their positions and he didn't do anything about it. He said nothing. And so the Lord declared that both Eli's sons would die in the same day. His entire household would no, no longer be priests before the Lord, even though they were Levites. 
Um, and instead, the Lord would raise up for himself a priest in Eli's place, which would be Samuel, um, that would be faithful to him. And the Lord said that the disaster that's going to fall on your house will cause a ringing in the ears of all those who hear it. Same sort of judgment here. Um, the second time that we see this is for, is for Manasseh. Remember the wicked king Manasseh, we've talked about him. Second Kings 21, it talks about it, where there's a prophecy against Judah for Manasseh's sins, where they would be judged by the measuring line of Samaria, which had already been judged, uh, Israel, and the plummet of the house of Ahab, meaning that they had seen God's judgment on Samaria, Israel, being taken away with Assyria. And Ahab's house had been judged. I mean, if you read about Ahab and the things that the Lord ultimately did with Ahab and Jezebel and, and, and the, the wickedness in that place, how the Lord judged them, uh, they were going to be judged by that because they had those, those negative examples for them not to do that. The Lord had warned all of these people over and over again to stop what they were doing, to repent and to turn, um, and yet they resisted. And because Judah was, in essence, doing the same thing, but had been forewarned not only themselves, but by those examples, then Judah was going to have this judgment that, again, would cause the tingling in their ears uh, for all who heard of it. Um, and it said, like I said, that he would judge them by the measuring line of Samaria and the plummet of the house of Ahab and would wipe them out like a dirty dish and turn them over, is what the Lord said of Judah. And this was what was taking place and what the Lord was going to prophesy over um, the elders of the people there. Verse 4, it says, because, and this is why, because they have forsaken me. So they've left the Lord. We read that earlier. They left the Lord, the fountain of living waters, and hewn themselves their own cisterns that don't hold water. Right? They forsook the Lord. And they made this place... This area around Jerusalem and, and the place that the Lord had said, this is my holy Mount Zion. This is my place. This is where my name is written. And they made this place an alien place because they have burned incense in it to other gods whom neither they, their fathers, nor the kings of Judah have known. So not only is it like this traditional uh, false worship, but they're just bringing in all of these gods and just going out in essence and worshiping whomever they can find that gets them whatever they want. And so they are going out and worshiping these foreign gods. And on top of that, they filled this place, the valley of the son of Hinnom, they filled this place with the blood of the innocents, with sacrificing children there. And that's what it says. They've also built the high places of Baal to burn their sons with fire for burnt offerings to Baal. And he says, which I did not command or speak, nor did it come into my mind. I mean, that's one of the strongest forms of aversion that the Lord gives to this sort of thing. He says, I didn't speak it. I didn't command it. It didn't even enter my mind that this is a form of worship. And he's saying, this is nothing, has nothing to do with me, and yet you've invited it into my land, into my place, in, into my people, and you are doing these things here. This is completely foreign. It says, therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that this place shall no more be called Tophet, or the valley of the son of Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter. So the Lord's changing their name because of what's going to happen there. And he says, I will make void the council of Judah and Jerusalem in his place, in this place. Remember, he's speaking to the leaders. He's saying, you, you consider yourself wise. You consider yourself to be giving good counsel to the people. You know, the uh, kingdom of Babylon is coming and, and the, the elders and the leaders are, are in essence just urging the people on in their sin to continue on in these wicked things and, and denying Jeremiah, as we'll see, and as we have seen, that they're in essence contradicting the words that the Lord had told Judah and Jerusalem, judgment's coming, judgment's coming. You think you are my special people and my favors upon you, but because you're disobedient and resistant to me and not repenting, my favor is gone. You don't have my face, you have my back now. Is what the Lord said. I'm turning away from you. And, and, and he's saying, 
they, they were contradicting the Lord. And so here the Lord's saying, I'm going to make void all of these things. There's not going to be wisdom. The things that you're telling the people here, the proof is going to be in what happens in this valley. He says, uh, and I will cause them to fall by the sword before their enemies and by the hands of those who seek their lives. Their corpses I will give as meat for the birds of the heaven and for the beasts of the earth. They'll just be laid out, not buried. I will make this city desolate and a hissing, speaking of uh, a snickering or a mockery. And that he's going to make that city a mockery. Everyone who passes by it will be astonished and hiss because of all its plagues. And I will cause them to eat the flesh of their sons and the flesh of their daughters. And everyone shall eat the flesh of his friend in the siege and in the desperation with which their enemies and those who seek their lives shall drive them to despair. This is a heavy judgment the Lord is calling out upon Judah and Jerusalem. And you know, the thing is, the Lord had, has given them warning after warning after warning. And he's brought the elders of the people out there to this valley and saying, look at what you've done to what the Lord's given you. you you've turned this place into a trash heap. You, and, and you've taken the gifts that God has given you and your children and you're going and you're sacrificing them to false gods. You, you're, you're doing this, uh, all of these things uh, at your own convenience and in resistance to the Lord, and you think that you are, again, being favored of the, of the Lord or favored by the Lord, and you continue in these things. And these very things that you are doing, thinking you have every right to do them, they're going to be flipped around and turned around in judgment on you. So the things, these children that they cast off as and used for their false worship we're going to be the very things of their judgment as they turn to eat their children because of the siege and starvation and hunger that's going to be coming upon them in Jerusalem. The king of Babylon would come and would besiege Judah and Jerusalem. And then you remember if you, if, you know, what we've seen and what we will see in Jeremiah is that the Lord tells the people, tells the, the leaders there, don't resist, surrender. It's the Lord's judgment that they're coming, but surrender and it will be well for you. You'll go into captivity. You'll go away from your homeland here, but you'll have a place to return to. You'll come back and you'll have this, uh, you'll be conquered, but it won't be destruction. It won't be a siege. It won't be where you're starving. You'll be defeated, but you'll be under God's chastisement which is gracious, which is kind, which is relenting as there's repentance and forgiveness from the Lord for that. And we, the Lord has over and over again warned Judah and Jerusalem of these things, and yet they've chosen to become hard and resistant. And because of their hardness and their resistance, and they're saying, no, we're going to stay here and fight. We're not going to be defeated by Babylon. Babylon would surround them, would besiege them, would cut off their supplies for food, for water. They would starve and they would turn to eating each other for food to stay alive. And yet they would still be destroyed and driven out. And the judgment God said would happen would happen still. There is the, the not very fun, not very easy, but the Lord's way in this judgment of submitting to the Lord and his chastisement. And then there was the resisting of the Lord's judgment and chastisement, which was much much worse. That's why we read in the New Testament, like James says, humble yourself under the hand of the Lord. Humble yourself. Because uh, if the Lord cha uh, is chastising us, things are much better for us when we submit to his discipline, when we submit to him. Things are much better for us than if we resist. Because the Lord will still have his way for what he wants, but there's either lots that we lose or there's the things that we can gain and learn and grow from as we see the Lord work. So, and this is the picture. Look at verse 10. It says, then you shall break the flask in the sight of the men who go with you. So remember, he had purchased this clay flask and he's now to cast it on the ground and to shatter it 
which again is that picture of the ringing of his ears, um, the tingling in their ears that they would have. And, and verse 11 says, And say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Even so, I will break this people and this city as one breaks a potter's vessel, which cannot be made whole again. And they shall bury them in Tophet till there is no place to bury. Thus I will do to this place, says the Lord, and to its inhabitants, and make this city like Tophet, the place that they rejoiced in that was magnificent with the temple there and, and built out of stone and had been made beautiful by David and Solomon and the kings afterwards. And, and uh, this beautiful city on the hill would be turned into a trash heap. Verse 13, And the houses of Jerusalem and the houses of the kings of Judah shall be defiled like the places of Tophet, because of all the houses on whose roofs they have burned incense to all the host of heaven and poured out drink offerings to other gods. So the Lord is, again, he's judging Israel. He's judging Judah. Remember this whole picture, this whole scene there is before the elders of the people. We would say how cruel are God's judgments sometimes when we look at things like this. Yet they were warned nearly 800 years prior that this would take place. Deuteronomy 28, Deuteronomy, this is in the time of Moses, it says if they were to, and when they were to resist the Lord and turn away from him, it says, you shall eat the fruit of your own body. The flesh of your sons and your daughters, whom the Lord your God has given you in the siege and desperate straits in which your enemy shall distress you. The Lord warned them almost a thousand years before this took place, that if they turned away from the Lord and did not repent from their sins, this was going to happen. That's grace in the long suffering of the Lord and his uh, kindness. For us to put it in perspective, this would be as if there was a prophetic warning that was introduced uh, when the Magna Carta was written in the 1200s for us here today. That's that time frame for us if you want to see how long a time that is. That's, again, the Lord's grace and his long suffering. People are quick to accuse the Lord uh, of being unjust and unrighteous in his judgments, but we see over and over again how long-suffering, how gracious and kind the Lord is, and how much forewarning he gives people. We saw that with Nineveh. Remember, he sent Jonah to go to Nineveh to preach that they should repent. Jonah didn't want to go, but we know the whole story, the three days in the belly of the fish and then going uh, to Nineveh, white as a sheet, uh, and eventually having to, you know, preach, and the whole city turns around in repentance <laughs> with with a prophet who didn't even want to tell them the truth, right? But then we see later on that that the Lord ends up judging Nineveh because they go back, but yet there's this whole uh, it's a hundred or plus years of grace that the Lord has on them because of their repentance. So we see Jeremiah is punctuating this prophecy, breaking the potter's vessel. So if you remember from last week, we looked at already the potter and the clay in chapter 18, where the Lord gives Jeremiah personally this picture of how he deals with people and how he deals with nations. I just want to read it again because I think it's pertinent to what we're looking at. Look at verse 1. It says, The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Arise. Go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause you to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was, making something at the wheel. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to make. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as uh, this potter? Uh, can I not do with you as this potter, says the Lord? Look, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. The instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up, to pull down and destroy it, if that nation against whom I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of that disaster, uh, of the disaster that I thought to bring upon it. 
And the instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build and to plant it, if it does evil in my sight so that it does not obey my voice, then I will relent concerning the good with which I said I would benefit it. And then he gives the judgment again. So we see here the Lord gave Jeremiah this insight into how he deals not only with nations, but with people as well. The clay in the pot, on the potter's wheel. This is a, a picture that we've seen, and it ties in with, with chapter 19. What we're looking at is this hardened clay vessel that's then shattered. It ties in. We see this picture throughout scriptures of the potter and the clay. And, and we see over and over again the Lord, uh, the potter representing the Lord. Isaiah 29, it says, Woe to those who seek deep to hide their counsel far from the Lord. And then it goes on to say, Shall the potter be as esteemed as the clay? Speaking of the Lord and, and the person. In Isaiah 45, verse 9, it says, Woe to him who strives with his maker. Shall the clay say to him who forms it, What are you making? In Isaiah 64, we see the people turning to the Lord and saying, But now, O Lord, you are our father, we are the clay, and you are potter. And we, all we are the work of your hand. And then you know famili uh, the familiar verses in Romans 9 where Paul quotes all of these verses. So we see the Lord is the potter. Now, I want us to kind of picture that. Uh, the potter as he's sitting at his wheel and he's turning this piece of clay. Uh, how is that clay formed and shaped into the vessel that is in the mind of the potter? It's with pressure. It's with the, the might and the right and the authority of the potter who's turning that clay. It's the potter whose foot is making that wheel turn. It's the potter who's placed that clay there. It's the potter who is forcing that clay into the shape that he wants it to be molded into. And... and uh, that picture of the, the pressure and the forcing and, and, and the molding and the shaping, that is, uh, for us, those are the, life's, the life and the experiences that God gives to each and every one of us. Psalm 139, verse 16, it says, Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book, they all were written, the days fashioned for me. That word fashioned is the same word for pottery, for forming, for clay. It's all the same word for the potter. Your day, the days have been formed by the potter for me, when as yet there were none of them. Uh, it's that idea of squeezing. The Lord has, has something, has plans for each and every one of us, a purpose for each and every one of us. What does the potter do as he's forming that vessel? He has in his mind the shape that it's supposed to be. And he's wanting to mold that vessel to become what he has in his mind. If it's not cooperating, smash it down if it's still pliable and reshape it again. And he'll do that over and over again. And that's the same thing we have with the Lord. The Lord has fashioned our days for us. And our days are fashioned in a way that he is molding us into what he wants us to be. If we're pliable and not resistant to him. If we are marred, sometimes there's the smashing down and the reshaping again. If we're resistant to him, there's the throwing out of the clay that's dried. Sometimes there's the adding the water to soften it again. You know, so that worship song we sing even talks about that. But we see the Lord has given us in our lives all of these circumstances, all of these things that we come uh, up against and face. And the Lord wants us to not resist him, but to submit to him. Because those are the things that make us into what he wants us to be. Sometimes, though, in that resistance, as we see talk about in the New Testament, we see sometimes the resistance is such that we're shaped into a vessel of dishonor, right? The Lord talks about vessels made for honor, vessels made for dishonor. A vessel for dishonor is for a dishonorable use, and we see like Jeremiah here, he's smashed on the ground as it's hardened and can't be used for anything else. Um, and so we see this picture again of the resistance of the clay 
as it's become this this vessel that now is going to be broken to pieces and shattered. The Lord made Israel, made Judah into what it should be, gave the kingdom to David, gave them the promised land, uh, gave them his word, gave them his commandments, all of these things, and formed them. And it was the Lord who did all of that. And yet they resisted. And over again, the Lord would smash them down like book of Judges, like we see these other judgments that they had, and build them up again, build them up again. But pretty soon, there was no more smashing down. There's the hardening that takes place. We see that picture with Pharaoh the Lord talks about. We see it in the New Testament. Over and over again, the Lord gave Pharaoh opportunity to let his people go in Egypt. And Pharaoh would harden his heart, resist. And then it came to the point where the Lord allowed Pharaoh's heart to harden and, and hardened him in that. And then broke Pharaoh. And we see the same thing here. Is that at a point, there's the hardness that takes place. The resistance goes no further. And there's nothing left but to break. And that's what the Lord was doing here with Judah and with Jerusalem. No, but the picture doesn't end there. The picture doesn't end there. Because what do we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6? It says, For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And then he says, Paul's writing, he says, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. What's that picture there? Paul is reminding us to go back actually to the time of Gideon. Remember Gideon. The Lord called him to go against um, the, the uh, I think it was the Philistines at the time, to go against them. And uh, they were to take uh, torches and to put them in clay vessels. And these, these clay vessels would hide that light. And then when they were to go into the camp, they were to smash these clay vessels and the light would burst forth. And then the uh, Philistines thought that, that there was this massive army there with Gideon. And they, in essence, just fled running, thinking that they were being attacked. But it was the Lord uh, who gave them the victory in that moment. And that's that same picture, is the broken vessel that as it's broken, the Lord is allowed to shine through. And we do see the judgment that we have here on Judah and Jerusalem. But like Paul writes about in Romans, like we heard about when Alan Shore was here from Chosen People Ministries, is even in this breaking, there is the Lord's glory that shines forth in that. And that's the same for us. Even in that breaking is that if we turn to the Lord, the Lord's glory shines in us. The Lord redeems broken vessels, redeems broken things. And we see that there's judgment for Judah and Jerusalem. There's heavy, heavy things that are coming for this generation. But again, peppered throughout all of these prophecies of judgment, we see the promise of their return. We see the promise of the Messiah. We see all of these things. And even in the, uh, their rejection of Jesus, of the Messiah with the Jewish people, and the breaking of that land again and that people uh, in, in, uh, just after Jesus' time and their dispersion throughout the world, all of those things are for God's glory ultimately because that brought about the gospel going out to the Gentiles opening the way for us to come before the Lord. All of these things, and we see that. But we see this whole picture of the Lord forming, the Lord working, the Lord putting pressure on his people, on the nations, on on what he is making in order to form them into things. And if, if we submit to him, sometimes, again, there's the smashing and the reforming. But if we resist him, then there's the breaking And we need to be so very careful that we're not resisting the Lord. Another interesting picture here we have is with the potter's field, right? The potter's field, this place of the the potsherd gate that where all the broken vessels are at and the refuse is there and everything. The potter's field in and of itself is its own picture that we see. 
this place that's, that's just a trash heap likened to Gehenna, likened to hell. We read about in uh, Zechariah, there's a prophecy of what would take place with uh, Judas, where he would, um, in essence, well, he sold out Jesus the Savior for 30 pieces of silver. And then he goes back and he casts that 30 pieces of silver in the temple onto the floor. And the, the priests there and the Pharisees, I say, we can't do anything with this. It's blood money. So then what do they do? They go and buy the potter's field. And, and, and it becomes a place to bury strangers in that area. And that in and of itself is a picture of what the Lord has done for us. Is here's this, this uh, place of broken vessels, the offcast, the, the refuse, the, the things that are broken in judgment, as Romans says, the wrath of God is already revealed. Uh, that, that we see all of those things, and yet the price that was paid for the death of the Messiah is used to redeem that potter's field. And that's what the Lord has done for us in his death. He, he's redeemed this place of judgment, this place of um, off-casting and refuse and broken vessels. And again, it's all speaking to the Lord's grace. I mean, it's, there's, there's so many things here. There's, it's just such a beautiful picture. I really encourage you guys to go in and read these things, Zechariah 11, Matthew 7, um, all of these things. But there's just this stream of the Lord's grace throughout. There's judgment, there's chastisement, there, there's all of these things and, and how people respond and resist the Lord. But ultimately we see it's the Lord's grace is what comes through in all of these pictures and in all of these things. But here for this generation, in Jeremiah's time, they've, they've resisted. Look at verse 14. So after speaking to the elders, he, it says, Then Jeremiah came from Tophet, where the Lord had sent him to prophesy, and he stood in the court of the Lord's house and said to all the people, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will bring on the city and on all her towns all the doom that I have pronounced against it, because they have stiffened their necks, that they might not hear my words. Remember in chapter 18, it said that they said, This is too difficult for us. We're just going to go and do whatever our hearts desire when Jeremiah called them to repent. And the Lord says they've stiffened their necks. So here Jeremiah's prophesied before the leaders and now he's prophesying before the people, to all the people. And he's doing it in the Lord's house and says there's going to be all of these things. There, there's no more turning of the Lord's wrath away from you. Now it's judgment coming. This doom that I've pronounced against this city and all our towns, it's coming because you, you're stiff-necked. You haven't heard the words of the Lord. And yet even in all of this, we see still continued resistance. Look at chapter 20. It says, Now Pashur, the son of Immer, the priest who is, at, who, uh, sorry, who is also chief governor in the house of the Lord, heard that Jeremiah prophesied these things. Then Pashur struck Jeremiah the prophet. And put him in the stocks that were in the high gate of Benjamin, which was by the house of the Lord, to be mocked, essentially. And it happened on the next day that Pashur brought Jeremiah out of the stocks. Then Jeremiah said to him, The Lord has not called your name Pashur, but Megor Misabib. That's quite a name. Now, what, what does that mean? Pashur, his name... Uh, some believe it means freedom. Now, there's some more recent research into the Aramaic, and in the Aramaic, his name actually means fruitfulness all around. It's abundance. It's, it's uh, everything's good. And you could take it both ways. His name could either be saying he's got freedom, he's free, and there's fruitfulness. There's nothing to worry about all around. But then the Lord says, that's not your name. Your name is this name. Terror on every side, fear all around you. That's what Megor Misabib means. It says, verse 4, For thus says the Lord, Behold, I will make a, you a terror to yourself and to all your friends, and they shall fall by the sword of their enemies, and your eyes shall see it. I will give all Judah into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall carry them uh, captive to Babylon and slay them with the sword. Moreover, I will deliver 
all the wealth of this city and all its produce, all the, the fruitfulness all around that his name meant, uh, all the precious things, all the treasures of the kings of Judah, I will give into the hand of the enemies who will plunder them, seize them, and carry them to Babylon. And you, Pashur, and all who dwell in your house shall go into captivity. You shall go to Babylon, and there you shall die and be buried there, you and all your friends to whom you have prophesied lies." So Pashur, he's the the chief of the temple there. Now, some uh, scholars say, well, he wasn't actually uh, the chief priest there, but it was actually like almost the chief of the guard in the temple there. So he was responsible for keeping order. And here he's treating Jeremiah, who's prophesying, who's making this commotion in the temple of the Lord uh, as just basically uh, a disturbance of the peace. And uh, he goes and throws him into stocks after striking him and says, this isn't going to happen. We don't read the words of Pashur's uh, false prophecies, but we we know basically from Jeremiah's um, uh, prophecy against him that he was just, in essence, contradicting everything the Lord had said. There's goodness all around. We're good to go. Don't worry about it. Just keep it calm. Keep it quiet. Nothing to see here. Everything's good. It, it, you don't have to worry. We're going to be fine. You're here in the temple. This is where the Lord has given us all of these blessings. We're good here. And instead, Jeremiah says, no, that's not true at all. And anyone who listens to you is going to be judged by the same judgment you're judged with. You're t- going into captivity. You're going to die there in Babylon. All these things you say we have abundance all around, it's all gone. All the blessings are gone. The land of milk and honey it's gone for them, and they were going to go to Babylon. They would die there, be buried there. Him and all his friends to whom he prophesied lies would go. Now again, even in this, there's grace. If you read the book of Ezra, you see the house of Pashur and the house of Immer and groups of the remnant that come back to Israel uh, after being there in Babylon. So that's graciousness. As though Pashur and that generation would die there in Babylon, yet the Lord would bring his descendants back to the land. So that's beautiful. Now look at verse 7. Here's Jeremiah. Now, we looked at before a few weeks ago his complaints against the Lord. And here we can't question why Jeremiah would have complaints here um, because of the things going on. I mean, look at what he's seeing. He's seeing not only is he in the time where he's seeing the sort of abandonment wrath of the Lord on Judah and Jerusalem as they're allowed to go to worship all these false gods, to sacrifice their children to them, to to be completely resistant to the Lord. Not only that, but in the judgments that he's calling out upon his own people, the siege of Jerusalem that would take place where they would turn to cannibalism, eating their children and their friends and the people around them. These heavy, heavy things. And in these warnings where the people just will not hear, there's even this, the, the physical violence against him. And here's what he says, O Lord, verse 7, you induced me and I was persuaded. You are stronger than I and have prevailed. So now, uh, uh, if you look at your footnotes there, if your Bible has them, it says enticed or persuaded for induced. Really, the idea here in the Old King, I think it's in the Old King James, it says deceived me, and that's not really quite the right translation there. Um, but the idea here, what Jeremiah is saying of the Lord is, Lord, uh, I didn't really want to go through and do this, and yet you kind of forced me into doing this, to have this ministry is what he's saying. So he's complaining. He says, you're, you're stronger than I and, I and you've prevailed. And then he says, I'm in derision lately. Literally, he's saying, I'm, in a, la- I'm a laughing stock all day, is what he's saying. I'm a laughing stock. People just laugh at me all day. Everyone mocks me. Verse 8, for when I spoke, I cried out. I shouted, violence and plunder, the Lord's judgment. Violence and plunder. Because the word of the Lord was made to me a reproach and a derision daily. 
Then I said, I will not make mention of him nor speak any more in his name. So here, Jeremiah, he's gotten to the point where he says, it's not worth it anymore. People are just mocking me. Nobody's repenting. Nobody's turning. Nobody's hearing what, what the Lord has to say. And they're just laughing at me. He says, I'm not going to speak it anymore. I cried out loud and I shouted all of these things, but now I'm not going to say it anymore. I won't even mention the Lord's name or speak it all in his name. But up in my bones, says verse 9, his word was in my heart like a burning fire. Shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back and I could not. And truly that is what it should be for each and every one of us. And we're going to face opposition. I'd encourage you guys, if you don't, to, to sign up. It's free. I get them all the time. The Voice of the Martyrs magazine. Um, there's some other ones out there, Open Doors and uh, International Christian Concern, that they put out articles and newsletters and stuff like that. But they share uh, what's going on with the church around the world. Um, this most recent issue uh, was really neat. Um, hard to read. You read about um, a pastor in, in Bangladesh who... Uh, gave his life to the Lord, and uh, because of his conversion from Islam to Christianity, he was persecuted heavily by his family, uh, by his neighbors, to where he was uh, attacked and injured, and when he was put in the hospital, something with the medicine that was given in the hospital made him go completely bald, and have con and his... Uh, beating that he received uh, caused him to have uh, broken vertebrae all up and down his spine in constant pain. Uh, he's lived with all of those things for, I think, about 25 years, if I'm remembering right, and he continues to minister as a pastor. He's planted, I think, about 10 churches. He's led over 200 people to Christ um, and everything and continues on. But you know, for, for people like that, and even us, we don't suffer those same kinds of persecutions here and now. It may come at some point. But for even us, as we suffer things, as, as we encounter resistance to the word of the Lord, it can be easy for us to say, I'm not going to talk anymore. Now, we all might say, well, but I want to be like Jeremiah. I want to be like these ones. That I may get discouraged, but his word's going to burn in my heart like a burning fire. I can't hold it back anymore, and I'm going to speak. That's only going to happen, though, if we have God's word in our heart already. Right? We have to be people of his word. We have to be people who love his word, who speak his word, who, who are faithful to him and walking in what he's called us to. It will be difficult. And there will be times where we, like Jeremiah, will say, I'm not going to speak anymore. And that's when his word can be like a burning fire where we have to speak. But here we see Jeremiah continues on. Look at verse 10. He says, for I heard many mocking fear on every side. Report, they say, and we'll report it. They're, they're mocking him. They're saying, no, there's no fear all around. Where's the fear? Tell us. Come on. Where, where is it, Jeremiah? Tell us. Where is it coming from? Jeremiah says, all my acquaintances watched for my stumbling, saying, perhaps he can be induced, then we will prevail against him, and we will take our revenge on him. Verse 11, he says, now here's the, the, the faith that comes from the word of the Lord and the hand of the Lord. It says, but the Lord is with me as a mighty awesome one. Therefore, my persecutors will stumble and will not prevail. They will be greatly ashamed, for they will not prosper. That would come. Jeremiah would continue to suffer persecution, but that would come because the judgment was coming on Judah and on Jerusalem. It was coming. It says, they will be greatly ashamed, for they will not prosper. Their everlasting confusion will never be forgotten. It's written here in God's word forever. It says, but, O Lord of hosts, you who test the righteous and see the mind and heart, let me see your vengeance on them, for I have pleaded my cause before you. Jeremiah was resting on the Lord's righteousness. He wasn't resting on his own. He was saying, you're the one, Lord, who tests the righteous and see the mind and heart. And that's truly what the Lord has. And the Lord's a defender of the persecuted. He's a defender of those whom he has made righteous. And he's a defender, ultimately, of his own righteousness. That's what we have in the New Testament, right? Jesus tells us 
that if the world has hated him, then it will hate us because it hated him first. So ultimately, persecution is, is not really against us, but it's against the Lord. And the Lord will have his day of vengeance on those who persecute him if they don't repent and turn to him. And that's what we see Jeremiah, he's calling out for, he's just trusting, in essence, in the Lord's righteousness and his justice. There's nothing wrong with that. Verse 13, he says, sing to the Lord, praise the Lord, for he has delivered the life of the poor from the hand of the evildoers. Even in this depression, Jeremiah sees the faithfulness of the Lord. And this high and mighty thing, you know, you almost get this, this feeling that Jeremiah is suffering from bipolar disorder or something here in this chapter, because we see he's complaining, and then he trusts in the faith of the Lord, and he has some, uh, you know, righteous indignation and, and calls for the Lord's justice, and is praising the Lord for his deliverance, and then he falls back down, and verse 14 says, Cursed be the day in which I was born. Let the day not be blessed in which my mother bore me. Let the man be cursed who brought news to my father, saying, A male child has been born to you, making him very glad. And let that man be like the cities which the Lord overthrew and did not relent. Let him hear the cry in the morning and the shouting at noon, because he did not kill me from the womb, that my mother might have been my grave and her womb always enlarged with me. Why did I come forth from the womb to see labor and sorrow, that my days should be consumed with shame? And then he ends on that. It's, you know, again, Jeremiah, he's a man and he's struggling. But we see throughout Jeremiah, we see that the Lord, his hand was on Jeremiah. It was a heavy hand on Jeremiah, but the Lord's hand was on him. And like he promised him, he would make him a bronze wall. The people would crash against him, try to resist him. And if Jeremiah remained faithful to the Lord, the Lord would cause him to not be moved. So wall of judgment, a difficult and heavy thing. And Jeremiah was suffering these things because of it. And yet throughout it, we see his perspective. He still continues to trust in the Lord. Turn over to Lamentations chapter 3 with me. You know, Lamentations is uh, the companion book to Jeremiah, written by Jeremiah. And in essence, it's a very long psalm. Uh, uh, of Jeremiah about these things and lamenting the destruction and the judgment. But uh, Lamentations chapter 3, look at verse 1. He says, I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. He has led me and made me walk in darkness and not in light. Surely he has turned his hand against me time and time again throughout the day. He has aged my flesh and my skin and broken my bones. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and woe. He has set me in dark places like the dead of long ago. He has hedged me in. That's that picture of the potter forcing the clay. He has hedged me in so that I cannot get out. He has made my chain heavy. Even when I cry and shout, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with hewn stone. He has made my paths crooked. He has been to me a bear lying in wait like a lion in ambush. He has turned aside my ways and torn me in pieces. He has made me desolate. He has bent his bow and set me up as a target for the arrow. He has caused the arrows of his quiver to pierce my loins. I've become the ridicule of all my people. Their taunting song all the day. He has filled me with bitterness He's made me drink wormwood. He's also broken my teeth with gravel and covered me with ashes. You have moved my soul far from peace. I have forgotten prosperity. And I said, my strength and my hope have perished from the Lord. Yet he turns, he says, remember my affliction and roaming, the wormwood and the gall. My soul still remembers and sinks within me. This I recall to mind. Therefore, I have hope through the Lord's mercies. We are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke in his youth. And then he goes on. 
I encourage you guys to read the rest of chapter 3 there in Lamentations. But that's what Jeremiah is going through. And yet at the end there we see, he says, you know what? It's, there's hardness, there's difficulty. I feel like the Lord's against me, the people are against me, no one is listening, and I'm just here and constantly called by the Lord to continue to be this laughing stock in front of the people, and no one's listening. And yet he stops and he sees the Lord says, but through the Lord's mercies we're not consumed. And that's what we see. When we see difficulty, trials, when we see the things going on in the world around us, when we see uh, the righteous being persecuted, when we see all the good things that God has given us in our life being ripped away and torn away and cast down, marriage is being torn apart uh, and, and destroyed uh, all around us, our children being attacked, all of these things going on, when we see all of this, we have to stop, step back and say, the Lord is sovereign. He's king on the throne. He's righteous and holy. And, and the very fact that we're here at all is through the Lord's grace and mercy. That's what Jeremiah is saying. Through the Lord's mercies, we're not consumed. If the Lord wasn't merciful, we wouldn't be here at all. We would have been consumed already because his compassions fail not. The favor, the grace, the kindness of the Lord. And for us, they're new every morning. That's beautiful. They're new every morning because the Lord is faithful. That's what we see in the New Testament. We see that the Lord remains faithful even when we are unfaithful because of his character and who he is. We as his people, we need to not lose perspective on what's going on around us, on what God's called us to. Uh, things can be very difficult for you, and yet if you have the right perspective on these things, you can have hope in your soul. You can have joy and peace. And even when you look and you say, well, all of this is going wrong, again, you can turn it to the Lord. And like we sang in that worship song, we can say, but Lord, you are good. Lord, you are good. You're kind. You're compassionate. And uh, I love that verse 27. It says, it's good for a man to bear the yoke in his youth. The Lord trains us. The Lord teaches us. That's the chastisement, that discipline of a father that loves his children, that he gives us. And if, if we submit to that, then we, we learn to trust him and we grow. We have all those pictures in the Bible, the picture of the, the plant that's growing that needs to be pruned because it's not bearing fruit. Pruning is a difficult thing for the plant, right? The seed that's buried in the ground and dies to bring forth a plant. We have all of those pictures uh, of difficult, hard things that produce fruit and produce goodness. And that's what the Lord wants to do for each and every one of us. That's what he was doing with Jeremiah, even though Jeremiah would not see the fruit. Yet we see uh, all the prophecies that Jeremiah prophesied came true. All the things that the Lord called him to stand upon came true. And so Jeremiah had fruit from his ministry, even if he didn't see it at that time. And we can trust and know that the Lord is good. I'd also encourage you to read Psalm 31 and Psalm 32. They go right along with what we're looking at here tonight. Um, but anyway, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that we would be encouraged. These things are heavy. These things are difficult. Lord, I, I look at Israel and Judah at this time, and I, I look at our culture and our society, and I, I feel like we're, we're in a similar place, Lord. The entire world, I think, is ripe for judgment. We know that from your scriptures, that, that the end is coming quickly and judgment is coming, the great day of your wrath, Lord. And we can see these things and look around and, and lose perspective and, and get depressed, Lord. And we can even be doing our part in sharing the truth of the gospel and yet just be resisted, Lord. Uh, but throughout it all, Lord, you are gracious and kind and compassionate. You are good. You are long-suffering, Lord. And I pray that we as your people would not lose that perspective, Lord. As long as we cling to that, Lord... We are your vessels. We are the clay in your hands, Lord, and you can form us into what you want. I pray that we would trust you, Lord, that we would rest upon your sovereignty, your goodness, your grace, your kindness, these things of your character that do not change. 
you do not change. There's no shadow of turning with you, Lord. And I pray that we would have that firm foundation in our hearts and our lives that then allows us to go through these things, Lord, that allows us to see uh, your faithfulness, Lord, in the midst of judgment, in the midst of trial, in the midst of trouble, Lord, and that we'd be able to say, like all the prophets of old, that you are good, Lord, and to praise you for your wondrous works, Lord. We thank you so much in your name. Amen. All right. Sorry.